0: twice the night before Christmas and all through the holy house... now wait hold it that's played out hit it
1: Hello and uh, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Blog uh, Podcast Christmas Special. I am Cammie Black and I'm joined this week by uh, Ruri Campbell. Hi there. And Brody Smithers. Hello. Um, it's the Christmas Special, uh, guys, so um, what we thought we'd do is uh, have a little bit of a look back over the year uh, and then um, with a bit of a festive um, tinge to things um, and then uh, do some of our normal... Uh, normal Uh, features as well we've got we've got jingle bells as well um that you can hear in the background um so i'll I'll try and uh, feature that as much as possible give it a festive twist um now uh rury and brodie i asked you to look back over the year um probably start with the pro teams um rury what for you was your sort of the one thing that stood out for you in the past year in terms of the pro teams glasgow and Edinburgh?
0: Well, I think with Glasgow, the big change we've seen, particularly in the start of this season, has been the development of the depth of their squad. So, especially at the Six Nations this time last year, we heard Glasgow the fact that every time they had to play matches then players were dropping off and it was really hard to basically bring the team together. But the games they had during the Autumn Series this time, so played Ospreys and, okay, fair enough, Ospreys have been struggling themselves, but good 30, 40 points were put past them and the fact that you've now got these academy players who are only 19-20 coming through and actually showing themselves on the first team stage, I think that's really positive. And especially due the Six Nations, when they'll likely lose quite a few more players, that squad is looking a lot more stable, a lot more solid compared to they were this time last year.
1: I mean, do you put that down? Do you think that's because there's now almost a Scottish way of playing running throughout Scottish rugby from the academy upwards? Or do you think it's... Um, just the, the the talent that's coming through at the minute?
0: Well, I think it definitely helps. The academy setups ups obviously developed the last few years, so it means that these young guys who, as soon as they're leaving school, they're being exposed to a good high level of rugby. Obviously, we'll talk about the under-20s later, but they're starting to perform at the level that's required for them to actually then step up into the pro leagues. So, yeah, once they get that level of explosion, obviously, as you said, playing the Scottish way, as it's been called, Scottish Blueprint... Um, learning and attacking rugby from an early age, and then building through that, it means it's much easier for them to adapt and actually move into the pro setup.
1: And um, Brodie, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think so. And um, it's really
2: positive, as Rory says, that um, these players are not only getting a chance with Glasgow, but they're also getting a chance with Scotland, which I think is really um, a really good thing. But if you look at Glasgow over the calendar year they actually had a bit of a sort of dodgy end to the season last season. I mean, the uh, the, the quarterfinal against Saracens was obviously a, a high point, but you know they were unsuccessful in that, and they failed to finish in the top four, uh, top, top four of the Pro 12. So I think you could probably describe this calendar year as a bit of a transition, but it's come really good this season. I mean, they're unbeaten, and yeah, it's all looking very rosy at Scottsdale.
1: I mean, you do wonder though whether last season there was a focus on Europe rather than the league and then this season it's maybe switched back and I think probably for Glasgow to kick on it, it's maybe a case of, well, to show any sign of progress, it's a case of being upperforming both.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair comment. I mean Townsend, I think, wanted to really test himself in Europe and, and the squad, and maybe took his eye off the um, off the league a little bit, or you know that became sort of uh, less important, or you know the, for resting players or whatever. Um, but you know, Dave Rennie's come in and he seems to be um, certainly giving youth a chance and making full use of the squad, which is really good.
1: Um, and we're often accused of being Glasgow centric so Brodie do you want to choose a highlight for you from, from Edinburgh
2: this is tough I'm not going to lie I've written <laughs> three things down. the first one is Side, yep. which Edinburgh yep. moved to in uh, January or February this year um, jury's still out on that one and the other two words I've written are Richard Cockrell and yeah. um, because that's about all we can really say at the moment because it is very much a work in progress as it has felt like a work in progress for the last six or seven seasons. Um, Again, it was a good run in Europe, a good group stages in Europe, um, and then going out in the quarters. But yeah, I mean, some of the league results have been dire. what's quite good now though I have to say with, with Cockrell we're starting to see is again similar to the Glasgow model there's a lot of young players coming through uh, and guys like Darcy Graham and Luke Crosby are really kind of like quite a positive influence on that team and he's also brought players back in from the sevens um, system who are getting a good run and yeah I, I hope it's going in the right direction but every time I kind of hope that it's going in the right direction it kind of goes wrong so yeah time will tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I had Richard Cockrell on my list because um, I, just I think it shows that the SRU are now willing to invest in Edinburgh to a certain extent um, rather than finding just whoever happens to be available at the time. Um, They're the, the, the prepared, obviously, to fork out decent money because I can't imagine he's going to he, he would be cheap. And you can see the start of a a culture at Edinburgh as well and some sort of identity, whereas maybe that's been lacking in the past, Ruri.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think especially Richard Cockrell is a very different coach to what well, any of the Scottish teams have really had in the last few years. So it will take time for them to adapt. Richard Cockrell obviously talked at the start a lot about trying to create some sort of culture, obviously, that he was used to at Leicester. That will take time, but I mean, the results, as Brody was saying, have been really inconsistent so far. They've done well in Europe, but if they could just get a couple of strong league games and start to become consistent in their pool, I think... Winning one of the games against Glasgow in the next couple of weeks that'll be really positive for them. But really, if they can be in a position where even if they're not quite making the Champions Cup by the positions by the end of the season, they're at least pushing for it. Unlike the end of last season where they were down near the bottom of the table.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about Maia um, said as well, Brody. I mean, um, I've been pushing for a while now. Um, now they've got Jakob Van Der Volt in that. The, the really the Maia should be singing the Van Der theme tune. <laughs>
2: Yes, um, one for one for the youngsters there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's certainly, I mean, it's better, you, you saw them back at Murrayfield again this weekend and and it's definitely a move in the right direction to have a much more, want of a better expression, intimate surrounding to play their rugby in. It,
2: it is, but, you know, there's no easy fix. And, you know, um, Johnny Petrie, bless him, has, has, you know, made the case for Myers side and, and great, but... <laughs> yeah as I say I think the jury's out a bit it's, it's of course all, anywhere is going to get compared with Scottsdale which has been a massive success um, you know so but we'll see we'll see you know have to remain positive
1: um, if we look now at, um, we'll move to the Sevens Rurik which is your specialist I mean specialism back to back London Sevens wins um, in the last well over the past, sort of 12 months apart Um but there's still a lot of inconsistency there. I mean, is the progress in the sevens, do you think, overall?
0: Um, I think yes, but it's going to take time. Obviously, the getting a back-to-back wins at Twickenham was a great achievement, but that squad's changed a lot since Twickenham compared to the start of the season now. Obviously, you've had Scott White and Mark Robson retire, but then Doogie Fife and James Johnson, as Brodie was saying, have currently been involved with Edinburgh. So... That's four of the starting seven from Twickenham who are suddenly out of the squad. I think watching the first couple of rounds that they've had in World 7 series, they're just missing that experience, particularly in attack. Still got Scott Riddell, who's um, he made his uh, Scottish record of appearances this weekend. But especially in attack, a scrum half, a fly half who can really lead play. And that's where they're lacking. Again, to get back into that old thing from a couple of years ago where they could get close in a game, but they just couldn't quite finish it. So it's a young group of guys that John DL has got at the minute, but kind of like Edinburgh in a way, I think they'll build, it'll take time. This time last year, actually, with the Scotland Sevens, they, they were doing similar performances. They'd be in the Cup one weekend, and then they'd drop down to the bottom the next. So once they build to the experience, hopefully we'll start to see a few more results coming our way. Maybe, Dunkey, where's the answer? Oh, I'd love to see him in a Seven shirt.
2: Yeah, that would be um, interesting. It seems to be the natural progression for him as you kind of slide <laughs> down the uh, the pace scale in the Sru. Yeah, uh, the sevens would be where he would end with that. But yeah, yeah, it would give him
1: it would give him something to do. Um, but I mean, really, I wonder how mu- how much did the sevens suffer uh, from almost being used by the Sru as a development side?
0: Um, I think. It- you can only say that to the extent because when you think about the players that were brought in, George Horn last year was one of the quality players in the sevens. he He's been get obviously got that exposure playing these high-level tournaments, and then he's pushed on into Glasgow this year and actually started challenging for the number nine position. In terms of the squads this year, there's been a couple of players like sort of Robbie Ferguson who are starting to push ahead, but there's been no one who's quite... Darcy Graham, obviously, as well, he's moved into Edinburgh, but I think that's the last we'll see of him in a seven shirt now that he's moved into the 15s. Hmm. So Again, just need a couple of players who can start to really cement their position in the sevens squads.
1: Um, Brodie, have you watched much of the sevens in the last sort of tw- the last twelve months?
2: Being a um, fat, slow prop from Langham, <laughs> I'm not a huge exponent of the sevens game. But um, what I will say is that I think it's come on generally. I mean, I hear what um, Rory's saying about the the loss of the key players and whatnot, but I think the investment and the kind of um, you know, the attention that's given to Sevens has definitely risen and, you know, next year we've got the Commonwealth Games and then it's the Sevens Rugby World Cup in the USA as well, so you know, there's some big stuff to come and certainly if if the the current squad, the transitional squad, wants some um, you know opportunities to test themselves against the best, then it's going to be there, you know. So, yeah, I, th- I think largely it, Sevens is doing okay.
1: Yeah, I suppose from where we were with them almost being disbanded, and and Ruur Melrose, lad, as I suppose is the the country that invented the sport, it, it, it's nice to see them doing well.
0: Oh exactly Um, Twickenham sevens The fact that they won it In the final against England A tight game They were 7-0 down at halftime Then came back And somehow managed to win That was a great moment to watch And was one of my highlights of the year But yeah It's going to take time If we want to see We're not in a position Where we can be getting those results Week after week But at least if we can find Some consistency Usually qualifying for the cup campaign Just about every week That would be great But yeah It'll take time
1: and I mean, would you? I mean, just out of interest, because last time we had the Commonwealth Games, you had the likes of Hoggy and um, I can't remember. It, um, well, Roddy Roddy Grant was in there as well. Uh, brought uh, Mark sort of, Bennett, Parton, yeah, so. yeah, Mark Bennett parachuted in. Would you? I mean, it, it, would you do that again? Do you think, or do you think that was just a one-off because it was Glasgow?
0: Yeah, I think that was probably one of a one, one one of a one-off. But I think again, it's trying to find those couple of players with Edinburgh and Glasgow who have started to move to the fringes. I know Richard Vernon won't be too long. Hopefully, before he's back from injury, so I wouldn't mind seeing him in the Scotland shirt in the sevens. But if they can get a couple of players in; that'd be great. It's, I'd say it's probably unlikely, though.
1: Um, well, I mean, we'll uh, talking to development sides, we may be worth talking about the under twenties next. Um, in terms of where they've come from, especially in the last couple of years, is they've you know gone from being the perennial um, sort of bottom of the pile and the. Um, under twenty six nations to, to sort of starting to push teams close, um, is that do you think a, a result of the sort of Scott Johnson's grand plan paying off, Brody?
2: Scott Johnson's grand plan, <laughs> right? PM. <TM. laughs> let's park that for a minute. <laughs> uh, I think obviously they had a really disappointing Six Nations, but I do think the academy has lifted. Um, Certainly the mentality, if not the physicality and all that sort of stuff that will come with having a good academy structure. And, you know, I think finishing fifth in the uh, the World Championships back in the summer was was a great achievement and really something they can build on. And I think in John DL, they've got a very um, forward-thinking and, um, you know, tactically uh, aware coach. So, you know, I think it's, again, I think it's a positive.
1: Yeah, and Ruri, you saw some of those um, plays from the... Was it the world? the the World Cup of the World Championship for under twenty. World Championship, World yeah. Championship, I and mean, you saw some of the plays in there. They're, they're they're not too similar dissimilar to the sorts of things that Scotland are trying at test level, um, and that that's surely got to be a good thing that these guys are going to come in and just be able to sort of slot into Glasgow and Edinburgh, and presumably then the Scotland setup as well.
0: well exactly, we've mentioned them already today. Uh, Darcy Graham, the fact that he's gone from excelling first of all week in the Premiership. They stepped up to under-20s and then also into the 7s. And already he's made his Edinburgh debut. So these players are now, with the Scottish blueprint, they're understanding how to play a game. They're focusing first on attack, and then it's only after a couple of years focusing on attack, they'll then start to think about defence and set plays. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be easier for them to transition in. Perhaps one of the problems we're going to have is there's not enough places for them to play until the Super 6 competition comes in until they get the right exposure at a higher level, but it's moving in the right direction, at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, you wonder about the Super 6, Brodie. Um, I mean, what's your view on that? Do you think that that's realistically going to be at a level where sort of these sort of younger lads can get that exposure? I mean, obviously, you're probably going to have the likes of Melrose putting in a bid, maybe the south of Scotland. Obviously, Berwick are going to be in there, but, but uh, maybe Langham as well. But is it going to be a high enough level, do you think, for them to actually bridge that gap?
2: Um, the Super 6 is actually my hands in the rock. So okay. I can save a rant for that later. Let's save the rant. We'll, s-
1: we'll, we'll save the rant for later. Just, you know, <laughs> talk around the rant for a minute.
2: OK, I think it's going to be, uh, as, as Rory pointed out, one of the benefits will be that players like this, uh, you know, under 20s age, guys like... I mean, I think about Charlie Shield, um, You know, he's playing for Curry at the moment and, you know, he could... Potentially be playing for an Edinburgh B team or a Super Six franchise or whatever it is, you know, of course you could, and that would get him competitive games. Um, but yeah, I have other issues around the Super Six. Um,
1: we'll get on to those.
2: But young player development certainly isn't one of them, and it's one of the tools that will support the under 20s to continue to be um, a success.
1: Um, and really I mean, we're, we're, Brody's obviously going to have a bit of a rant about this later on, but do you, do you think it's going to be enough to bridge the gap?
0: It just depends. I think. It's a great idea and I'm happy that they're finally starting to push ahead and having some sort of higher level of performance. But there is that risk that it just becomes one well, of those great ideas that suddenly collapses, that doesn't really gain the traction it needs. Whether also one well, of the ideas that had been suggested was that these teams would then go into the British and Irish Cup to get exposure against championship championship sides and Ulster B, for example. But that's just been scrapped by the other clubs. So I'm not I think we'll have to wait and see how it does in real life before we can say when it's going to really step ahead and give them the best potential but hopefully it will that's what we're hoping
1: and then um, next we'll talk about uh, the Scotland women's team as well because that that's really come on leaps and bounds as well I think a few years ago I remember writing an article for the blog berating the SIU for just almost uh, letting the women's game completely languish in Scotland where you know every year the that, you know, that Sending a bunch of amateurs out against the, France and England and getting absolutely pounded 50 plus points every game. But this year we've had a win against Wales, run Ireland close, and I think there's now three professional players playing out of France. You've got Jade Conkle, Chloe Rowley, and Lisa Thompson. Um, Brody, I mean, it's surely a good thing that the women's game's growing in Scotland. Do you think there's more to be done?
2: Um, there's always more to be done, but I think. Absolutely, it's grown exponentially and the investment in the academies and the, uh, as you pointed out, the professional players. There's also a few down at Loughborough as well. Hmm. I know uh, Lisa Martin from from Murrayford Wonders is down there um, amongst a couple as well. So I think it's the only way it can go because we were, as you rightly pointed out, languishing behind the rest of the world when it came to this. Um, um, you know, this year has been... Again, a positive there was two six nations matched one for the first time since 2006 and you know I just think generally the it seems to be almost the uh, the level of exposure in the women's game has risen it's become higher on the SRU's agenda.
1: I mean really, what, what, what do you put that down to is that um, external pressure for clubs is it an increase in interest in the game in Scotland?
0: Yeah, I think it's just a general increase. Uh, women's rugby, I think, has been quoted as being one of the fastest-growing sports in Europe and in the world. I think, obviously, with the World Cup this year, that sort of proved that. More clubs, from what I can see, are starting to get involved in developing women's sides, and certainly in the schools game as well, they're starting to get sides out. So once you've got those players who are actually interested, Scottish rugby have been kind of forced to start um, helping out. I think definitely getting those pro players away, getting some experience in France and in England, they then come back and contribute to the national team and hopefully we'll start to get that filtering down, especially into the young girls developing in the academies.
1: Yeah, I mean, I should probably say at this point, I'm very aware that we've got three men discussing the women's game in Scotland. <laughs> so if, if there is anybody out there that wants to write about uh, women's rugby in Scotland for the blog, we're always more than happy to have new writers. Um, you wouldn't be just restricted to the women's game, of course, and um, we're more than happy to have new writers. Um, I think we especially struggle with Edinburgh, Um, So if there's anybody out there that wants to write for Edinburgh, it's very much a bit of a a sausage fest uh, in the Scottish Rugby Blog Towers, um, so we're always happy to have a bit more diversity. Um, Can
2: I just point out, I I struggle with Edinburgh too, generally.
1: (laughs) I thought you were were going to make some huge uh, revelation there, uh, Brody, about how you met some diversity criteria that we didn't know about.
2: Well, if anything's
1: possible, <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll move on swiftly uh, then um, and talk about uh, Scotland, then the, the international team. Um, it's been a good year, is not it, Brody?
2: It's been a very good year, to quote uh, Mr. Sinatra. Um, you know, it, let's be honest, let's be brutally honest. We're in dreamland. In mm. many respects, this is beyond what any of us have seen since 1990, 1991, something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just, you see Stuart Hogg scoring tries, you see us winning games, um, you see the crowd at Murrayfield jumping around. It's, you know, the depth of squad we've now got. I mean, it's just unbelievable compared to where we were even three four years ago you know um yeah twickenham was a disappointment fiji was a disappointment but christ on the on the scale of things on the scale of disappointment as a scotland fan it's like two percent of what it used to be
1: and and what was your i mean what was the one thing that stood out for you then broadie i mean there's quite a few things that stand out but what what was the one point that you thought this is it that we've we've moved on here
2: being australia in australia and the Ireland game at the start of the Six Nations.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Game at the start
2: of the Six Nations was a comfortable win, as comfortable a win as I've seen for a long time.
1: And, and Rury, for you, I mean, what, what 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 sort of stands out for you for Scotland this year?
0: Um, yeah, similar to Brodie, now getting these great results that a few years ago we'd never dreamed of. One thing that really stood out for me was the Scotland New Zealand game and a sudden mentality shift compared to what we're used to. Scotland being down by a couple of points and having easy kickable penalties, but instead choosing to go for that tap and go, choosing to go in the corner. It's a sort of bravery we haven't really seen in the Scottish side for a while. I would say this is uh, Greg Townsend bring it in. Trying to play exciting attacking rugby, so it's really positive. Whether that sort of mould of the game will then fit the Six Nations. We'll have to wait and see, but it's definitely exciting. Do you know what? I've got people who have
2: never really shown an interest in rugby asking me if I can get tickets for Scotland games for them. Mm. And, you know, that that for me is kind of quite a good barometer of where we're at because, you know, there's people that don't like rugby who know Stuart Hogg. You know, it's just, it seems to have, have shifted into something bigger.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's true, I mean you definitely see more people talking about it on Twitter, more people, and, and I think through that you then get more people interested in the pro teams as well. So it's a good thing that the international team. I mean, it's inconceivable that a, Samoa, a few years ago that the Samoa game would sell out Murrayfield, and yeah, yet absolutely. here we are. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I mean the 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 one game that sticks out of my mind, I think, is probably the France game in terms of where how far we've come in the last twelve months. If, I'm sort of listening back to the early pods we did when we first started, and we were talking about the France game and how you know Laidlaw went off, and Ali Price came on, and and it was very much you know Ali Price and Finn Russell having an illicit house party. Um, you know, while the dad's, that you know, dad was away uh, for work, and you know, we talked about the music in Finn Russell's head, and that that's not there anymore. That there's been that maturity, they've moved on, and you know, um, Ali Price and Finn Russell have sort of forged a more solid partnership, there's much better game management, and you start to wonder, I think, whether or not you know some of the more established players, guys like Laidlaw, you would have said, were nailed on. Few months ago, na- are now you know, going to struggle to make the bench.
0: Well, he made a good point there with um, Finn Russell. The fact is, he still made actually quite a number of mis- mistakes, particularly in the Samoa and the start of the New Zealand game. But because of the general consistency that we've seen, it was kind of glossed over. So definitely progress in that. As you were saying, I think Laidlaw. I have he still talked about as being the Scottish captain ahead of Barclay. Given the way it's quite clear Scotland want to play, it's going to be a challenge for him to be starting against Wales in February.
1: And broadly, I mean, uh, for you, I mean, do, is that it? do you think late? You know, Ali Price is now the starting nine for Scotland, and and Law's probably bench.
2: I don't know. I can't. You know, part of me goes, I can't see how Laidlaw Law fits into to Tune's system, but another part of me goes, well, maybe that's the plan B. Um, I, I just, but do you know what the the good thing is, is that all these players that for years have been assured of a place, Ross Ford, you know, all these guys that have sort of been nailed on are now all of a sudden fighting for the jersey. And that can only be good for the national team.
1: Yeah. And you, I guess you see guys like Ross Ford stepping up, like we saw in the summer. Um, so maybe it's, it, it, it's a good thing in that it's forcing these guys who've maybe been. I mean, it's hard to accuse a professional player of being complacent, but the guys that have been assured of their place now having to step up to a different level in order to either push for the place or or get it back.
2: Well, totally. But I mean, if you're Ross Ford and you have a rubbish game and there's no consequences, you know, mentally that's going to affect you in terms of how hungry you are to. To prepare and to be at your best you know it's just either consciously or unconsciously it has to affect him so to have um you know rambo come in and throw nigh on 100 percent in the line outs is a great rocket for anyone
1: yeah because I, I mean Rui, you're probably looking at ross ford now fourth choice hooker for scotland which given in the summer he was probably first second is quite a shift
0: Exactly. Um, it's sort of the horrible thing injuries can do that whenever you're away, the guy who replaces you has an absolute storm. And you'll have time, you know, a couple of games in an Edinburgh shirt before we get into the Sixth Nation. So he'll probably be given that opportunity to prove himself. But same with Alistair Dickinson. You find it hard to see exactly how they'll fit back into the team. Especially when you've got these younger guys who are pushing through right behind them.
1: Um, Well, I'll make it, as we'll we'll come to an end of our um, look back over the year, I'll I'll just ask the two of you for your predictions for next year then. Uh, Brodie, what what are we looking at? What would make a good year for Scotland next year?
2: Yeah, well, obviously, you know, we had a great Six Nations, but we only finished fourth in the table, which was, you know, happened to be a bit disappointing, just the way the results went. Technically
1: technically joint second.
2: yeah, I know, but you know, in the table we were fourth, and I'd like to see us push on, um, you know, second in that table, first even. But I don't want to get all over excited. But you know, it's we're there now. You know, there's no there's no kind of like hiding anymore. There's no plucky underdog stuff. We're uh, a competitive test team, um, and you know, really, we just need to go out and show that.
1: And really, I mean, what's what's your Christmas wish for next year for Scotland?
0: Yeah, well, I think. It's we at the level where can, can compete now. So if we could beat Wales, France and Italy and then push to beat one of England or Ireland, that would be a very good Six Nations. Ireland and England are obviously the two top teams at the minute. And the fact that we're playing the latter away, it's going to be a challenge. But um, I know I said definitely this time last year we were going in with a bit more optimism. This year, I think it's fair to say, given the results we have actually had, that this is um, merited optimism for the Scottish side.
1: Yeah, probably feels that way. I mean, there's always that optimism for some one reason or another after the autumn test, but this somehow feels feels different.
0: Yeah, exactly. But uh, this is the first time we were the closest during the autumn test to push uh, New Zealand that close. And then obviously getting that result against Australia shows that we can actually compete with the bigger sides.
1: Yeah, uh, well, uh, we'll move on and uh, now it is time for this...
2: Comment of
1: the Week. Um, it's time for Comment of the Week. Um, I haven't chosen anything because I forgot about this section on my agenda. Did either of you uh, go over the blog and choose any comments that stood out? Or did I forget to ask you to do it?
2: No, no, I got one.
1: Good. Brody. <laughs>
2: okay, so this is from uh, Stu on the Warriors Prepare for Montpellier article. He's, uh Basically, responding to someone going on about how um, the domestic league doesn't support Glasgow in Europe, you know. And he says, This is the sort of piss you see from Celtic and Wendy Ball, which I assume he means uh, association football. Boo hoo, our domestic game brings us down. Of course, this doesn't seem to stop Munster and Leinster winning in Europe. We need to stop wringing our hands about Europe. The money available to French and some English clubs is always going to make it an uneven playing field. Uh, and this is him responding to the previous poster, as to your suggestion that Johnny Gray and Russell need to move for Glasgow to progress is quite frankly ludicrous. I think it makes a good point about, you know, us bemoaning the fact that Glasgow don't have enough competition um, in the Pro 14 to then step up to um, the European Cup. I just think that's, um, you know, uh, any team should be aspiring. To win the yeah. European
1: Cup, it's the sort of rubbish you normally hear from Welsh fans who are convinced that the Ospreys can easily slot into the Avivia Premiership and challenge for the <laughs> challenge for the playoffs every year. And I, you know we're, yeah. we're better than that.
2: Yeah, but you have to aspire to these things, otherwise, what are you going to
0: do?
1: Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Rui, did you pick anything up from the... the yeah, um,
0: I found a comment from Lockinverboy, who was, was on Rory's article about SIU's move to potentially purchase Worcester Warriors. And I'm just going to paraphrase it because it was quite long. But he said, interesting idea, but are they the right team to invest in? If we can't have a third pro team, I'd rather see our pro 14 clubs playing bespoke stadia. It's not a bad idea with Worcester, but surely it's only a massive priority. So he was basically making the argument that instead of investing in England, we should be focusing on our own clubs first, either trying to push a third pro club, which I think we sort of talked to death before, Yeah. but even taking the likes of Scotson, which probably does need to be expanded as a stadium given it's sold out every game this season, or Edinburgh, of course, who is, yeah, jury's still out on whether side is the right choice. You wonder whether FCU would be better focusing money on a domestic game or in Scotland first before looking into England.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to cover this in the news section, but we might as well talk about it now, given it's come up. But I mean, what, what, I, I mean, the jury's out for me on this Worcester move because I, I think in terms of the money side of it, it you've you've got an infrastructure there already, you've got a fan base, so it's not setting up something from scratch in Scotland from a third pro team where there's not even a guarantee that they'd even get into the Pro 14 anyway. And the, you know, see the struggles with how you know combining the tribalist natures of Scottish fans in the Borders to get behind one team is hard enough. So I can sort of see the merit in, it. and you've got a lot of guys like Johnny Gray who are allegedly, um, if you believe the rumours being peddled, you know, yep. desperate to go and play in the Aviva Premiership. And whether or not with the funds that a club like Worcester have at their disposal, you could then slot those guys into a team like that and. Have sort of almost like a, a Scottish exiles team, you know, automatically playing at that level. Whether that would benefit Scotland, I don't know. I'm not. I can see the pros and cons both sides. I'm not. I'm yet to be convinced it's a good use of money. But then Mark Dodson hasn't really put much of a foot wrong yet. Brody, I mean, what have you got any strong views on it, or you just wait? Well, yeah, a second, I, I, and see. I
2: don't know other than the fact that I think it's a total nonsense no Um, I just (laughs) I think it's just a little bit of game playing with the RFU and London Scottish to be honest Um, I think the viability of that as an actual proposal no, no. I just don't think it would work all the sort of governance around it the kind of the player um, registration all the kind of insurance and all that sort of stuff and even if it were to happen it would take years to put in place
1: yeah. I mean there's already a I mean, we we me and Gavin Rory were looking earlier this week on Twitter we were saying on Twitter it's almost like there's a sleeper cell there already at Worcester because 'cause you've got um Gordon Ross and um Simon Cross on the coaching staff yeah. and then we've got um you know um Tom Heathcote um you know as, as ten and, and Dave Denton there. So you've always got the makings yeah. of, of some sort of terrorist sleeper cell in Worcester ready to go. Is that
2: <laughs> is that Andy Robinson's eight ten from a few oh, years ago,
1: it is. Yeah, it might even be. Yeah,
2: it's just Greg in the middle there, doesn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's who 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 um who they're looking to bring in as director of rugby.
0: Uh, could be He uh. does need a job.
1: Yeah, get the get the old get the old band back together. <laughs> It was successful so the first time. <laughs> <laughs> hey Ruri, have you got any any strong strong views on the Worcester plan? Do you think? I mean, is it is it just a bit of gamesmanship? Do you think from the Sru, or is it a viable option for them to pursue?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of like you, mean I'm yet to be convinced that it is the most viable option. That it's the best use of funds. It's that sort of thing that we can never really tell because it's not really something that's been done before. Um, London, Scottish have kind of been neglected. Obviously, um, Scottish sure rugby haven't actually bothered sending any academy players out there this year. And yeah, of course, Worcester Warriors you've got the infrastructure there, the fact that they could play at a higher level. But I just I'm right now I'm struggling to see how it would actually work in the real yeah, real life.
2: I wish the SOU would just be honest and admit they've had a massive falling out with London Scottish I mean it's just a sort of open secret
1: yeah you feel bad you feel bad for the guys left behind I think we've got like the likes of Grant Shields still playing down there I feel like sort of some forgotten toy just sort of discarded and left in some dark (laughs) under under a bed yeah exactly (laughs) well that would be wasps that would be marginally better but yeah 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 (laughs) Um, okay Um, well Go on, nobody. I've got a
2: comment of the week for you.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's
2: on the uh, the comments for the last podcast. Okay. Uh, and it's from JP. And he says, I know you lads play up being, being negative, etc., etc., <laughs> but the rant about Murrayfield fans came across as thoroughly miserable and out of touch, not in an entertaining way at all. I don't know if you pay for your tickets or not, but for the price of a test ticket, every man, woman, and child has every right to say whatever they want much as they want and as loudly as they want providing it isn't explicitly offensive to others you can't praise the new Murrayfield atmosphere one minute and whine about vocal fans the next we've all been wound up by annoying fans around us and we've probably all been that annoying fan at some point lighten up
1: (laughs) i think i mean the the issue i have with that is that um you know and, and it's a you know thank you for that jp um I, I think one he's also getting me back from the fact that i had to bleep it i told him off having to bleep him out the last comment of the week that he had because <laughs> it, it got it wasn't even didn't even make the, the blog it was so sweary but um you know i, I think one of the issues that we're we're being serious at all times on this podcast and clearly i think if if history shows anything that's that's not the case um yeah. I'm, all for, I'm all for you know. I, I don't mind people getting well. I think it, the, 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 it was somebody else who would made the comment, and I think it's the um, the coaching from the stands is what winds yeah. people up. I, I think you know. I'm all. For, I think everybody having a good natured good time, but it's the miserable barber jacket salmon trouser brigade who I'm pretty sure this podcast doesn't appeal to anyway. Sat there, no, you know
2: since the Grand Slam in 1990 exactly really you know not, if we can't play for
1: us anymore yeah giving <laughs> gi- you know sat there giving tips about how to play rugby you know from the 80s and you know how none of these guys could touch the you know t- touch the cloth of the likes of David Soule or some other player that you know none of us have ever heard of that played back in 1978 or something I think that's yeah. that's what we were getting at. I mean you know I'm all for people you know shouting and getting excited that's brilliant, but yeah, it's the it's the grumbly mourners. I think we were getting at there. Um, I think one of my my one of my favourite well, memories.
2: Mic, but... Sorry, go on. No, you go, Brody. I was just saying, I'm I'm taking the mic, but JP is a good contributor, and you know, absolutely, uh, if you've got criticisms or. Praise about the pod, please fill out comments because it's always good.
1: Yeah, it's always good, and we'll we'll always take them in the spirit that they're they're, they're meant. Um, and you know, just as so long as people are prepared for us to shoot them down in flames where they've no right to reply. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's- <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going I to say one of my favourite memories was my dad at Twickenham a few years ago, just standing up at the Calcutta Cup, um, surrounded by England fans, after Stuart Hogg made a huge touch find and just shout, get that right up you. So, you know, I'm all for people, you know, <laughs> making a fool of themselves at rugby games. Um, well, um
2: but I'm presenting, he's, he's from Berwick and there could be, you know... Could be some
1: division there. Yeah, he's not from Berwick, though. He's got a very strong Selkirk accent, so it's quite yeah, clear. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was very, 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 <laughs> very clear which side he was supporting when he stood up from me in the comment. <laughs> uh, right, uh, we shall move on and we'll do this now. Well, we'll learn Yeah, it's time for uh, Where's Doogie Donnelly, or as we renamed it last time, Where's Doogie Donnelly, because I'm incapable of saying Doogie Donnelly. Um, We're starting now with some actual Doogie Donnelly news. Um, Firstly, uh, can I just say how disappointed I am in our listeners, Uh, Doogie Donnelly was actually at the Glasgow game. Uh, at the weekend and not a single one of you wrote into us to say that you'd seen him which either means that Dougie knows that we're we're looking and ha- trying to hunt him down and and sort of left in some sort of blacked out limo uh and kept it was in some sort of disguise or um you're all not paying attention so please up your game um and, and do do let us know if you've seen Dougie out and about. Uh, the second bit of Dougie Donnelly news is that his Twitter account was hacked at the weekend. Um, I don't know if that was uh, as a result of being at Scotstown, whether or not there's some dodgy Wi-Fi um, there. Um, and his Twitter feed was filled with retweets of Asian pornography. So we thought for a bit of fun, we'd come up with some rugby porn names Uh there shouldn't be anything stronger here than a bit of innuendo but if you are with a small child you might want to cover their ears for the next 10 minutes or so um so Brody, what what did you come up with
2: well i've got a couple of i've got a few film titles and i've got a few uh player names player porn names okay why, why don't we
1: start we'll start with the player ones because i've got some player ones as well go on you do okay. yours
2: i mean actually I've, i was pleasantly surprised that i just went through the Scotland squad and found enough in just the Scotland squad so <laughs> uh, my players are uh, Tommy Seymour Butts uh, Big Ben Toolis and
1: um, Scott Cummings very good didn't you have to change the last one um, <laughs> Rudy did you Did you have any p- names of players that you went with for porn names no see
0: I forgot about the names until about 15 minutes before I was on I managed to come up with Scott Cummings just looking at the list but I'll be ready to hit you with a few titles once we get to that, so I think you should get your names in first, Cammy.
1: Okay, I've got, are you ready? Because there's a few. There's Devin Boner, Richie, nice. Richie Shades of Grey, Bear Cowan, Lube, Lube Hamilton, Ben KY Jelly, Pascal Papp, nice. and uh, <laughs> Sebastian Chabals.
2: Smooth. Yeah, so that was it. That
1: was an afternoon well spent for me. Um, <laughs> I only, I only, I only, I only came up with what I struggled with film titles. The only one I I got was um, coming in a jiffy. <laughs> um, what did you What did you get then, Ruri for film titles?
0: Um, well, I, I did try to go through the law book, just trying to find some
1: inspiration. But nice.
0: In the end, that was a bit of a challenge. Um, uh, <laughs> one of the better ones I had was front rows coming together nice we've had too many holes in the defense and hogs slipping through the hole that's about as good as i could get in my 10 minutes of okay, they're, they're
1: all strong contenders um Brody.
0: well let's get 50 shades of gray out of the way It's the
2: most obvious one yep. but um i also had the uh the horn brothers do glasgow oh yes
1: yeah. lovely <laughs>
2: Uh, and my personal favourite, which is Neil Cochran and Joe Rocococo star in Dueling Cox. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's very good, um yeah it's now safe to um to take your hands off the young child's ears now, I think um we will we'll move on uh, in other news. um we were contacted we, we asked for your rumors, and we were contacted by the town of North Berwick on twitter um oh. the whole town, yeah, according to the Twitter profile, it's the whole town, so i'm only I'm working on the premise that that there is only one computer in North Berwick, which I've been there, and it wouldn't surprise me, and that the town just ha- accessed the Twitter account on a rotor basis. Um, I
2: think Jason have that laptop because he's their coach
1: well, that might explain the rumor that might explain the rumor that that we had, which is that uh, that Stuart Hogg will be playing his club rugby in France next year um which you know um I was very skeptical about um and tried to call them out on it um but then luckily i didn't have to i didn't have to do any fact finding because then Stuart Hogg intervened and said it was the first he'd heard of it. Um ah. which now there's well, a new I've I, yeah I've got
2: you know it's possible.
1: Yeah I think well Craig Watson, um who the the photographer pointed out that you know Scotland are away to um to France in 20, uh, at some point and Glasgow might draw a French team so you never know. Um but um there is this new thing where Stuart Hogg is is clearly name searching on Twitter, we're a bit like the candyman, if you say his name five times he just appears.
2: I quite like the way that he's been faked news by the entire town of North, North Berwick, though. That's, um, <laughs> that must be something of a first.
1: <laughs> um, have either of you got any uh, salacious rumours that aren't going to get us in trouble that you've heard or made up?
2: Yeah. Um, so, Finlay Calder, who, uh, you know, British Line OBE, whatever, he's also the coach of the Stuart's Melville 3rd 15 um, and he has been making noises that Gary Armstrong another OBE is going to be turning out for Stuart's Mel 3rd 15
1: okay <laughs> breaking news <laughs> breaking news yeah so well worth getting off to Stuart's Mel um, I think most oh, most of the like Stuart's that. Mel um, listeners um, I think listen to the other podcast Um <laughs> don't think they bother with us. Um, Rory, have you, you got any salacious rumours? Um, yeah, well,
0: I had, I had one um, as a friend who noticed Nick Grigg, the Glasgow centre, was spotted coming out of Waitrose and given he's out of contract at the end of the season, suggested he could be making a big money move abroad.
1: Well, yeah, have shopping in Waitrose. Exactly. Yes. Yeah.
2: Ooh. So is it Ibiza or Mallorca he's going to this summer? <laughs> all-inclusive assuming. big money
1: yeah and we did have somebody get in touch with us through uh, Facebook who uh, said that the last time they'd seen David Denton was in an Italian nightclub and they'd slept in a bin with him um, although they didn't really elaborate on, on the bin when I asked them uh, they just said it was a very expensive nightclub so I assume that
2: was that perhaps a predictive text error
1: Possibly, but I like the idea of somebody snuggling down with David Denton in some sort of giant bin at the back of an Italian nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine yeah, he'd be very yeah, good. He'd be a very good big spoon, David, uh, David Denton.
0: It would also fit your festive advent course. calendar of players in wheelie bins.
1: It would do, yeah, yeah. That's true. So if if anybody's got a picture of David Denton spooning anybody in a wheelie bin, do get in touch. Um, can I
2: pitch in with a anecdote from my childhood well oh, not my childhood actually my early 20s with Doddy Weir yeah
1: go, go um, it.
2: it's not your usual Doddy Weir anecdote it doesn't involve drink or any kind of sort of
1: fun the last uh, one we had uh, on here cool. involved in playing tennis so is it yeah
2: it's, it's, it's probably le- it's more banal than that it's great <laughs> um, so you remember when you used to sign up for an account in the bank they would give you a form and you'd fill out these impossibly small boxes with like your name and all that sort of stuff this is pre you know digitalization or whatever um so i was standing behind dotty weir and he was trying to fill out this form and they'd basically given him a bookie's pencil to do it with <laughs> <laughs> pencil. So he had like these, these massive hands this tiny pen trying to fill it out in these tiny boxes and he was just getting more and more irate it was it was, you know, there was a certain element of Schadenfreude there, but I thoroughly enjoyed
1: it. Yeah, well, that's that's the sort of thing that we want to hear. So, you know, for, if you want to, you know, get get your name on our Where's Dougalie Donnelly section, we want, you know, rumours, um, substantiated or not, we don't care about players, preferably quite banal ones. And uh, have you seen any large rugby players struggling with pens in banks? Um, that's that's exactly the sort of thing that we are after. Um, we um,
2: will get it Eating a ginster's
1: in Selkirk High Street? Have that's, you seen that? I haven't seen that. No. I, 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 well, given that, given the wealth of, given this um, Robertson's pies, I, I'd be very, I'd be very shocked if anyone had dared to eat a ginster's up Selkirk High Street. Well, yeah,
2: that, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Do you know why people from Selkirk are called Japs? By the way, Cameron.
1: I, I don't. But can we broadcast this?
2: I don't. I don't have the answer.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know why. It's but. Totally I,
2: Initially insensitive, but
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: sort of like innocent um, answer to that, you know, like people like call Terry's. But for me, okay, was always was suitors. But yeah, seems to be this thing about the, the uh, Japanese. No,
1: I've heard that before. I don't know where it comes from. If anybody knows, do let us know. If if it's broadcastable, then we'll let you know. If it's not, then uh, keep an eye out on the comment section of the blog um, and see whether or not we let the comment through. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, hopefully it's some some sort of I don't know, acronym and isn't racist. Yeah. I doubt or, it. Uh, but um, yeah,
2: abbreviation of something that's not uh, an Asian country. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
1: Here's hoping. If you don't hear <laughs> do back from us, enough if enough? if we never mention this again, then just assume it's a racial slur. <laughs> 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 um, right, we'll move on swiftly, and now we will do this. Right, it's time for uh hands in the rock. Um we want to know um what's been your hands in the rock, so do get in touch. We haven't had anybody get in touch with us um since the last episode, so we'll just do ours. Um Rory and Brodie asked for your hands in the Rook uh, over the past year. Um, Brodie, you've mentioned yours as a super six. Do you want to just get it off your chest?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is ripping my net in a bit. It's just kind of, um, look, I'm a pragmatist. I understand something needs to be put in place. I understand that development of young players, yada, 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 all that sort of stuff. But what I don't understand is why this is being treated as a marketing opportunity by the SRU before it's even in place. Now, Dodson has done an amazing job, Scotch Rugby, hold my hands up to him, absolutely. But I think we're moving into the realms of, you know, he's openly saying things like, I can't sell the premiership. I can't, you know, this isn't a good enough product. It needs to be smaller. It needs to be more marketable. It needs to be, and I just, just think, Hang on a minute, you're devaluing all the club rugby that'll be beneath that, mm. massively devaluing it. You're taking all the money out of that, you're taking all the sponsorship out of that, and you're basically providing jobs for around 250, 300 people at a certain level in rugby. And yes, that'll help young players, or it should help young players get through, but the clubs beneath are all struggling for player numbers, they're struggling for sponsorship, they're struggling for facilities and this isn't going to help them at all and it really reeks of when we first moved into professionalism and the you know the kind of district setup, up and they're not trusting the clubs and not engaging with the clubs and you know club rugby is a, a, a kind of players and spectators, it's a community thing um, and I just think this is going to be another tier that's going to kind of put the nail in the, the coffin of a lot of clubs, smaller clubs
1: The one, I mean the, I I, think, I I take your point. I think the one thing that's good about it, and whether, I don't know whether or not this could have been done a different way, is that it levels the playing field in club rugby. Because what's been happening for the past few years, maybe even longer, is you have clubs bringing in South Africans and Kiwis to come and play for what should be a community club. And you've got clubs poaching young players from the clubs beneath them to come and play for them. And whether or not this... Sort of levels the playing field, and that it allows clubs to keep hold of their youth players, and it means that clubs aren't going to be able to go out and you know pay guys from South Africa or New Zealand ridiculous amounts of money to come and play in you know the Premiership or the you know Division One or whatever. it is. that that's the thing that that I think is good, but whether or not it, it, it that could have been done in a different way, I don't know.
2: Well, I mean, for me. If a club's ambitious, if they get an injection of cash like Bigger did when that guy won the lottery and ploughed it all into them, you know, or Annan or Curry, you look at the examples down the years, if, if you've got ambitious clubs that want to do that, let them go up through the leagues. But otherwise, have a, a committee at the end of the year that says, do you actually want to go up? Or, you know, is there someone below? Do you need to get relegated? Because ultimately, you look at clubs like, like ours and... Um, County like Berwick and Langham. I'm pretty sure Berwick don't want to play in the same league as Orkney. i um, no. am give them the
1: choice. Well, I think I think Berwick have always said they'd find the level, and that's that's Berwick Berwick aren't about overcommitting themselves. They've said we'll find our level, we'll do what's right. And they, you know they they had that season a couple of years ago where they played Orkney, and you know it was a good away trip. We covered it on the blog. I think they had a good time. Um, it was financially it was difficult for the club, and they. Uh, it's, it's, Struggled in the league. But I think the main the main problem for a club like Berwick is they've got a very strong youth set up and they've been able to hold on to some of their colts this year and as a result they've got a good team. But in the past they've struggled and that then means you've got young guys that they've invested in from minis upwards all of a sudden going and playing for you know Kelso or um, Gallo or whoever can afford to pay them a bit of money. And I don't begrudge those lads being ambitious. I, I mean, it's just more about whether or not it gives a bit more of a level playing field if clubs aren't able to do that
2: yeah i know but there's another element to that which is that the youth section is part of the community and you know that that's the community engagement piece and you know good players will always move and and not so good players will probably move but they usually come back um and i just i don't know i mean the super six thing i want you know, I'd, I'd love nothing more than a young player from Alston or, you know, White Craigs or wherever in the country to be able to have a route that takes them right through to under-20s and then up into the pros or whatever. But I think that's there, and I don't think throwing out the premiership so we can have Melrose, South of Scotland, you know, a, a Glasgow conglomerate or whatever in there. I mean, you know, we're talking about universities bidding for this now as well, which is, you know, obviously... Sets the financial and hmm. facilities playing field like way out, and you know, I just don't think people are going to go and watch that as a product.
1: I mean, really, Brody makes a good point there. I mean, we, we uh, the SIU have struggled in the professional era to sell that sort of you know, this idea of a regional rugby or conglomerate to clubs to the likes of the borders where it's very tribal. I mean, it you know, obviously, Melrose might have the, the cash or the the will to go go it alone, but persuading guys from Selkirk to go and support a South of Scotland team based in Gala Shields is a, big, is a hard sell.
0: Exactly. You look at where the numbers going to watch amateur club rugby are right now and the only people going out to watch are those who have been involved in the club pretty much all their life. Where the I struggle to see how, especially in the first season or two, how they'll be able to build those crowds. And some have been talking about hoping to get up to a thousand but Fair enough in Glasgow, where you have got obviously Warriors game seven, eight thousand each game. But in Edinburgh, you're looking at three and a half, four thousand at best. So why would others then choose instead of watching Edinburgh to go and watch a league uh, a side in a lower league where you haven't got the same star names? I think it's a great idea, and definitely whatever we can do to boost amateur rugby and to get those young players given some proper experience, that's great. But it's going to be a challenge, I think, in my personal opinion, opinion, to actually sell that as the business model that Mark Dodson keeps talking us about.
1: Well, yeah, on that cheery note, um, <laughs> so I think the consensus is it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> There's some good parts Look, to it.
2: Something has to happen, but I just don't think this is it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably, yeah. that's probably fair. Um, Rory, what's your? we'll move on. What's your hands in the ruck?
0: Yeah, well, I think it's, it's definitely been mentioned on the pod before, but in general, rugby, my hands on the ruck is Eddie Jones. <laughs> um, I'm getting quite frustrated every press conference now, where whether it was the England-Italy game where he was complaining about the tackle-ruck situation, or whether it's just because he wants to have a go at the other culture or a couple of players, There's absolutely no need for it whenever you're talking about rugby trying to stick to its core values and literally just focus on the game. Eddie Jones says he does it because he wants to deflect pressure off the players and let them focus on their game. But for any fan who's trying to watch it, and especially anyone who's on the receiving end of it, it's just not necessary. Obviously, in the last couple of weeks, he's talked about how all the hype about Scotland is actually non-existent I think I'd rather be just focused on his own team than giving his own opinion which is really there just to try and stir up the media in the first place
1: yeah I think that's a good shout we've talked I know we've talked about it before but he you know it's 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 a it's a low dirty trick and it's it, it, for me it does I mean I was told to drink a drink I think by um, Al Dimmick um, when I, I mentioned Rugby Valleys a couple of pods ago but <laughs> it, it is that thing if it, it's you know Saw so Gregor Townsend interviewed a few weeks ago in the BBC, and he was asked. He was quite open and answered, gave some very interesting answers to some questions. and And it's possible to be interesting and engaging without resorting to slagging off the opposition or, or bringing that, bringing that up at all, Brody. But do you, I mean, is it? Does rugby need characters like Eddie Jones, Brody?
2: Uh it reeks of football to me. Yeah and it reeks of that kind of jose Mourinho approach to pr or whatever and it, it just it's interesting a couple of times then it becomes boring i mean the, the michael checker eddie jones thing what was that a month ago or so i mean that was just like peak nippy aussie kind of deflection nonsense wasn't it i mean you know check is having a mantram in the stand and eddie jones is just kind of smugly winding him up and you're just thinking you know get a room basically
1: yeah I suppose you get the same with Warren Gatland as well. He's he, he's won for it in the past, and you know is is perfectly prepared to make barbed comments about the opposition, but then gets shirty when he's depicted as a clown on the front of a New Zealand newspaper.
2: Well, that's what happens when one's going through a midlife crisis, allegedly. I <laughs> um, <laughs> have very thin skin, but you know it's the rest of the world's problem. It, it occurred no, to I, m- you, Yeah. No, no,
1: it's fine. I've said enough about Gatland. Well, well, I was just going to say, it occurred to me on the Christmas theme, you could write a very good cri- version of A Christmas Carol starring Warren Gatland, wherein he is forcing Rob Howley to work on attack plans late into the night on Christmas Eve, visited by three ghosts, <laughs> one about the past whale's glory, the middle one just shows him a vis- vision of Bryn alone in New Zealand on, on Christmas Day, and then the ghost of Christmas future, which is um, Vern Cotter coaching New Zealand instead of Warren Gatland.
0: Well, I'm not sure why Scum five haven't already picked that up.
1: Yeah, well there, well if anyone's listening I'm I'm I am i i am prepared to write that if anyone everyone's willing to dramatise it. Um my I'm
2: dying in there is <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um I'm trying to think who would be tiny Tim in that scenario. Um Josh Josh Ooh. Navidi.
2: And Sean Edwards?
1: Oh yeah. God blesses everyone <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, my my uh, my hands in the ruck is music at stadiums, which has come up before, but uh, particularly Murrayfield, and just, oh, it's, dreadful, isn't it? it's awful. <laughs> I mean, I don't. If you're going to pick music, just you know, pick something current or rocky. Don't you know? Don't pick the Bay City Rollers. Don't. We're all fed up of the Proclaimers. Just just stop. It'd be interesting as an experiment and I don't think any any stadium will have the guts to do this but if the and, and I think the SRU do listen to this podcast because they stopped playing the bass it was when we complained about it a few episodes ago but it'd be interesting it'd be interesting to have one stadium make it just just have an experiment and not play any music at all except for before the game and at half time and just have everything else apart from announcing who scored silent and just see what happens to the atmosphere yeah
0: what? They see, they had this debate down in Gloucester a couple of years ago, and they decided to start playing music after tries, and the crowd hated it, so they stopped again. Gloucester's one of those special atmospheres you get at a club ground. Whether that can be replicated in Scotland just depends. But the other thing you had on music, I don't know if either you remember the Scotland-New Zealand game, but the musical um, rendition of God Defend New Zealand. Did either you remember that?
1: I that. Uh, uh... No, wait.
0: no. well, for some reason they didn't have a band and instead played what sounded like a primary school rendition of the album, <laughs> which was I, was, I was in the crowd at the time, and it was hard not to laugh at what they decided was suitable compared to the usual big brass band they have.
1: Do you think they just went on YouTube and found the first <laughs> result for it? It
0: literally sounded like that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And every time I've been at Murrayfield recently, they played that bloody um, Proclaimers crossed with titanium like, oh. from Pitch Perfect endlessly, like it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the history of recorded music. And it just like, oh, yeah, sorry.
1: Dear you there are other Scottish bands.
2: There are indeed. But yeah, yeah, it's not good. You're right, Kimmy, it's not good.
1: Um, we're going to move on now and because um, we're, we're, we're over time but we've got a very special um, last section given we've got Ruri on um, I haven't had time to do a jingle but but I am just going to play this uh, which is uh, of course Sound of the Police by KRS1 uh, because we have the uh, have the rugby police in attendance um, in the form of uh, Ruri um, so we're doing a it's Ruar the Ref uh, which is our, um, our our normal section we do when we have Ruri on to put some challenging scenarios to and we're going to do a festive one and I haven't used my sleigh bells so far but there they are um, nice. so Brody and I have come up with um, some um, festive examples um, and scenarios for Ruri to answer first of all the you you refereed my brother a, a couple of months ago how did that go?
0: That's correct um, it was Berwick against Forrester I was appointed to the game the day before so it was a nice surprise <laughs> Your brother, in terms of performance, um, a few squint line up throws that definitely made an impact. And I don't think he ever really made an attempt to get on sides. No, but that's- at the end of the day, they won by a good 40 50 points. It was a good performance by Beric with the youngsters pushing through. So yeah,
1: had a very captain. good
0: day out there. Was he uh, captain? He was captain, yeah. 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 Sure
1: he he. Um, I, I contacted him before the podcast, to ask how it had gone, and he just said, "Oh, he's a he's a good young ref. We've had him a couple of times. I quite like him." But then sent me another message, a very long rambling message about how he'd come straight through a ruck at the weekend and tried to steal a ball, and um, was he allowed to handle the ball, and he wasn't allowed to kick it. I don't know. I, I lost the thread of it, but yeah, he Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he'd been offside um, for most of the game, really. Um, so you're probably right. <laughs> um, Brody, do you have you got a festive uh, Ruar the ref for, for us then I've got three I've got um, three as well let's go let's go with your first one
2: okay so Rory you're uh, refereeing a game it's in it's in mid games um, not half time but you know like midway through the first half or something like that and uh, there's a commotion on the sidelines and it turns out the uh, the son of God is actually being born <laughs> off the touchline. Um, you know immaculate conception blah 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 all that sort of stuff's happening um, but uh, his, his mother Mary Magdalene is actually giving birth on the sideline do you stop the game how do you react to that it
0: depends where you mean by side of the pitch I've got jurisdiction up to five meters of the touchline if it's in the so I think it's often to stand I just kind of want to focus on the game we've talked about before rugby values let's just focus on the match so Unless it's really created a big commotion, let's just get on with it.
1: Surely though, will you and your two touch judges are the three wise men.
0: I'd hope so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um not sure what sort of gift I could come up with at half time, but three, three wise men sounds about right. How about some referee gold? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um I'm sure well I'm sure one of the players probably looks like Frankenstein, which is close enough to frankincense. Um I've got one where an entire team turn up to play in matching Christmas jumpers. There's no clash with the opposition, Kit. Do you allow it?
0: Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's nothing against the loss that says it. As long as you've got a jersey that's got Can long sleeves, then that sounds about right. Uh, how, long those, how, how long energy. those jerseys um, will survive in a rush, I'm not quite sure, but give it a shot.
2: Um, the level of nylon on nylon action in that scrum would just be unbelievable. <laughs> There'd be a fire.
1: <laughs> the answer. The answer I have on the card is Christmas jumpers are never acceptable. Uh, fair <laughs> enough. Um, Brody, what's your second one?
2: Okay, so it's uh, it's conversion time. Uh, the match-winning conversion um, player steps up, and uh, sorry, no, someone comes running onto the pitch. From the coaching team uh saying they've got no kicking tee, but instead they've got a holly wreath. Are we
0: gonna allow this? It's gonna have to be quite
2: a small holly wreath obviously, you know.
0: That's what I was thinking. It's gonna be a very small holly reef. Yeah. Um just for sort of decency, I'm gonna say no, because I mean, who brings a small holly wreath to a game? Make your own kicking tee.
2: Maybe. The son of God. I, he's being born on the
0: side. I don't know. Maybe it was one well, of it could, yeah, it could have been the gifts provided by one yeah. of the touch judges. Equals. Maybe it was laced with my... <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: Mine was um, there's a player with long white hair and a flowing white beard, and he approaches you before the match and asks if you've been naughty this year. You laugh it off, but as the game goes on, the penalties rack up for his team, and he keeps saying that he's going to put you on the list. Now, you can't be sure it isn't Santa Claus, so what do you do?
0: It's a tough one. Um, and that's the point where you need to have that serious chat. So you bring him aside to the captain and say, look, I've noticed the penalty count. I've noticed what you said. Are you Santa Claus? Because if, he tries, to give a dishonest, if, he, if he tries to give a dishonest answer, that's when you need to start thinking about escalating the penalties. Think about a yellow card. But... Uh-huh. Lump of call for Mr. Campbell.
1: Yep. you're getting so no pressure. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your next one, Brody?
2: Uh, my final one is right. There's a really important fixture. Um, I don't know what's what's the most what's the highest level game you've done so far.
0: I uh, got a national one this weekend.
2: Okay, so it's a national one game. There's no other date to play it. It has to be played, or the both teams will get kicked out of the league for not fulfilling their fixtures it's on Christmas Day
0: do you step up yeah why not I, yes of course yeah, you do you've got to at the end of the day. Saturday afternoon as long as you save the Christmas dinner for a later time I'm absolutely happy to do it good man
1: um, my last one is as part of a Promotion for the local pantomime. A team field a pantomime horse at fullback. The horse is wearing the kit, and the team have only fielded 15 players, taking account the two that make up the horse. Is that okay?
0: Yeah. Well, I think last time I was on, I was asked about whether a joint would be allowed to join a team. Um, I'm I'm up for a horse. Yeah. If we're doing an yeah East League Two bottom of the table, let's go for it.
1: Okay. So there's there's the show. If you get Ruri as a referee this this festive season, and you want to try and feel the panfrying horse, apparently that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems a good point to leave it, and we're we're, we're slightly over time. Um, so um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog. Um, find us on Facebook. Facebook forward slash Scottish Rugby Blog. I think I've got that right. Apologies to Rory if I haven't. Uh, you can comment on the blog, ScottishRugbyBlog.co.uk. Leave us some comments and we'll read them out on the next podcast. We'll be back at some point in January to preview the Six Nations, and they're on in uh, probably every week after every match. Um, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and um, we've had some good ones so far, uh, including one from me that says Great Bunch of Lads, because apparently you can review your own podcast, which is quite helpful. Um, <laughs> um, so, in the meantime, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Brody and Rudy. Goodbye. Just another work day, and any jackanapes who thinks else should be boiled in his own pudding. But, sir, Christmas is a time for giving, a time to be with one's family. I say, bah, humbug.